Well, before we go into our next song, I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 17, if you want to go ahead and turn there with me. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, I am here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here, and here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we truly do worship your name today. God, as we sit out here, Father, I know sometimes there can be distractions. Uh, God, I don't know every situation that um, people rolled in here this morning with, but God, uh, we know that you're the answer uh, to any questions we may have, any concerns, um, even any joy we may have or any um, uh, good reports we might have in our lives right now, Lord God. We just want to give you credit and truly uh, just sing uh, praises to your name. God, I know oftentimes uh, for myself, Lord God, sometimes I can just say the words or just sing the songs uh, without really engaging my heart. But God, I pray that's not the case for us today as your people. God, that as we uh, have spoken these things with our words, Lord God, that, that it's just, a, you are an amazing God and, and it's such a privilege, Lord, uh, to be able to serve you and to worship you together. So God, I do pray, Lord, just that your spirit would truly uh, rest on each of us this morning, that you would dwell, Lord, among us, Lord, as your word says. And God, we just thank you that um, you have just prepared the hearts of your people this morning to receive your word and God, uh, what you would have for us. So once again, Lord, we acknowledge you as Lord over all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You can be seated. So today we are going to be jumping back into the, the book of Acts as we are there in our series uh, to the ends of the earth. And uh, it's, it's always, again, it's always good to get into God's word. And as I always say, when we're in these types of series, you know, just to kind of work through them, not really be rushed. Um, and what we're going to cover today, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot to it. As many of us have heard, uh, this, this amazing experience uh, that happens on the Damascus Road with Saul. 
and you know, to, to, for his person, his character, this, this, this man who is going around persecuting the church, literally, you know, the, the first martyr, Stephen, when he was murdered, you know, he was standing there and watching, and it was probably under his watch that it took place. And so to think of somebody like that, and, and then to, just to ask, you know, those questions of God, <laughs> isn't there someone probably a little more qualified or a little better? Uh, it's almost, you know, he's the, the opposite of what you would think maybe God was looking for, but it just shows uh, how awesome and how powerful God is and what God can do in any situation. And so, again, many of us are probably familiar with this, this account, um, but we're just going to kind of take some aspects of it that we're going to look at because there's a lot of directions we could go, a lot of places we could deep dive. Um, but I'm, for the sake of time, by the way, I have, I have three watches. Uh, I have three watches, and... Um, a bit of confession to you. So two of them now, uh, their batteries don't work. One of them I'm wearing currently. And, and what I do is I wear it in the, the, this thinking that, hey, if I have it on me, if I'm in the mall or something like that, I'll get it fixed. But it's been a few months, and I still, so I'm down to just one watch working, but it's not the one I have on. So God bless you. And I don't know how long this sermon will go. Um, but if I see you start nodding off or just get up and leave, I'll, I'll wrap it up. But um, no, don't, don't fret too much. I do have the time, I think, here on my iPad. But um, yeah, so, you know, we can, we can really spend a lot of time where we are today. Uh, but what I want to do is I'm, we're going to kind of work through some scripture and just kind of unpack it. And then I want to bring the application more towards the end of our time together. Uh, Leanna, you know, this, this morning she read through this, this passage just to kind of get us geared in. And so we're going to kind of springboard off of that as we get started. Um, any any uh, Tom Clancy fans out there? Tom Clancy, I, I love, yeah, I love the Jack Ryan character. Um, one of my, uh, one of the movies, I mean, they're all really great, uh, but one of the ones I like as well uh, is The Hunt for Red October. Anybody seen that one, the submarine one? Of course, you got Sean Connery in there. You, you can't beat that, right? Um, you know, what shines? That's my Sean Connery. Yep, you're welcome. Have it all day. Yep, all kinds of accents and impressions. Thank you, all two of you over here. Um, but the, in that movie, though, it's, it was really great. I, 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 it was very suspenseful, but... The whole premise, for those of you who didn't see it, it's, it's uh, this Russian naval officer, kind of top guy of the whole Russian naval fleet. Uh, you know, he's, there's this rumor that he might be defecting, and he's, he's now been put in charge of the, the world's most dangerous submarine, this new technology and everything else. And so um, uh, Jack Ryan, you know, Tom Clancy's character in the, in the, the movie, uh, has kind of been tasked, and he's just an analyst, but they want him to make contact with him because he's very familiar with this guy. But it's the, it all kind of, the tension all rises to this point where, you know, they're standing, they finally are standing face to face on a sub, you know, very close quarters. There was a lot of close calls leading up to that and a lot of uh, real challenges. But now they're standing and there's this tension. Like, is this guy legitimately, you know, looking to defect? He wants to basically come to the U.S., bring the sub and like hide it somewhere so, you know, this, this thing can't get, attack the world. And, um, you know, there is a tension there because there's this concern you know, of, is there a genuineness here? And, you know, that was probably, and again, it's probably maybe a poor illustration in one sense, but, you know, just trying to capture a little bit of maybe how the church, and especially Ananias, might have felt when he got tasked to be the guy to sort of lead the charge and to go face-to-face -face with Saul, the guy that's already murdered Christians, that's arrested Christians, and that was actually there for that purpose, <laughs> And yet, you know, God shows up and says, I want you to go to Saul. 
And so, you know, kind of try to put that in your brain a little bit and, and try to process that just for a moment this morning as we, we look at this. And again, I mean, it wastes no time in chapter 9 there when it starts out with, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Okay? And he's not even doing anything illegal, right? He'd gotten permission. Well, they say that it might have been, there might have been some, might be not totally legal, but the, the church, you know, the, the Jewish, uh, not the church, the Jewish uh, folks there at that time had a lot of power and authority. And so they were extending that reach, if you will, and they'd given him the green light to go ahead and round up these, these Christians, right? This, the, the people of the way, as it was called. And notice it says, too, as men or women, which was kind of also very telling of that, of what was happening, right? A lot of times in that culture, you know, the men were sort of the, the bad guys, or not the bad guys, the, the main folks, if you will. Women were kind of just left alone. But here, they're, they're, they're rounding up men and women. And so it shows you just how serious and what, what, what Saul was setting up to do. And I'm really sorry today if I keep saying Paul or Saul, because I might get that mixed up, because Saul becomes Paul, if you didn't know. Spoiler alert. But uh, yeah, so he is Saul at this point. But it just kind of sets it up really, really well for us to understand, again, Saul was, he was a bad guy. <laughs> I mean, to the Christians, he was like their opposition directly. And so, you know, it's, it's understandable that there, when, when, when Jesus shows up, the Lord shows up to, to Ananias and says, you need to go to Saul, you know, because this is what's happened. And he, he kind of runs it down for him. And, you know, you need to go there and pray for him. And, and Ananias, he kind of says, you know, Lord, hang on, I've heard, you know, from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So again, let's not be too hard on Ananias. <laughs> and I don't know about all of you, and maybe there's times in our lives and in your life, I know in my life there has been, when, when maybe the Lord has called us to do something, right? The Lord has called us to do something, and we're kind of sitting there like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure how your call came to go to Scotland, you know. I don't know if there was a hesitation or it was just always, you know, there. But, but there's, there's a process because we start to think through our brain and just in our, the natural sense, you know, can this add up? Does this work out? And in the natural sense, this did not make any sense whatsoever. And so, you know, again, we see Ananias kind of resisting a bit, but understandably. And the Lord, you know, comes back. And he assures him, you know, he says, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And listen to this. He says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, again, Saul had done a lot of bad things, but he had done them in the, the right spirit, if you will, because he thought that this was a, a false thing, right? This was a different religion rather than a continuation of what he had already experienced and the fulfillment, really. He saw this as opposition, and so to protect that, he was, you know, trying to go forward and, and, and squelch this. And now he was shown, as the Lord says, that he, he is going to suffer as he enters into to what his calling is. And so then it said, as, as it was wrapped up there this, this morning with Leanna, she said, so Ananias departed and entered the house. So he goes and he has this moment where he stands in front of Saul, the one who had killed Christians, who had arrested Christians, and had come for probably him and his friends. And he's standing now in front of him, and it says, and laying his hands on him, and that was to pray for him, not to hurt him, if you were wondering. Um, we sometimes joke around about that and say, you know, hey, I want to lay hands on that person. 
Um, this is to pray with them. And so Ananias is, is standing there, and he lays hands on him. And notice the first word out of his mouth. If you're there in your scripture, if you're there in the Bible in chapter 9, if anybody's there, what is the first thing that he says? How does he refer to Saul? Brother. Now that is truly impressive. This, this chapter, you know, it's, again, it's kind of Saul is, I don't want to say the star of it, but, you know, he kind of takes precedence, it seems like. But, but Ananias, for him to first go, and the first thing out of his mouth is brother. Brother Saul. And he acknowledges him that we are, we are now a part of the same family. You are, you are my brother in Christ. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 18, it says, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. And so what we see here at the beginning of, of Acts, this, this whole account of the Damascus Road experience that Saul went through, and this moment where Ananias shows up and prays for him, is, is, is a couple things. And, and, and basically, I, I would summarize it all as this, as a faithful obedience, and sometimes even in weakness, as in Ananias' case, where he was, wasn't sure. It, it, he, did not, he could not do that on his own. It didn't make sense. But a faithful obedience, first we see in Saul, Again, wrongly applied, but his, his obedience was to squelch what he believed to be this opposing force against Judaism, right? And so he was trying to do the right thing. He was zealous about what he believed, and, and so he was trying to squelch this thing and be the kind of the hand of it, that sometimes the very strong hand of it. We also see here about faithful obedience in Ananias, as we've mentioned already, but to visit and pray for the very man who is in town to arrest and possibly kill him and the other Christ followers around him. Again, this idea of faithful obedience comes to the surface. And lastly, once again, coming back to Saul, following his conversion, as we're going to see here in a moment, he immediately proclaims the name of Jesus in the synagogues and ultimately to all the Gentiles in the region. And you know, I want to pause here. Again, I, I said we'll, we'll kind of bring our big application at the end. But I want to pause here, and I want to just, just kind of let it simmer for a minute with each of us what this faithful obedience looks like. And let me kind of break it down for you a little bit. Faithful obedience means that we don't always know the outcome is going to be fine. We don't always have all the details, right? Whenever there's faith involved, there is a, a, an aspect of it that, that isn't necessarily clear, but we're just given that next step, or we have to trust whatever God is saying, right? Why do you think that is? Why does God call us to places where we're not sure how it's going to work out? I am pretty confident that as Ananias walked into that room, even having heard from the Lord directly, <laughs> there was probably this much in his mind saying, I may not walk out of this room today. Because <laughs> a blind Saul could probably still take me out, right? And so why does God do that? God does those things. He calls us to those places. Why? Because he wants us to lean on him, to grow in our faith. The only way that we are stretched and we can grow in our faith in God is by stepping into those places where there is uncertainty and, and where we have to trust him. Now, let's be honest, right? Let's, since we're getting down into it a little bit, and I can tell you're all nodding because I'm getting good. We're preaching here, aren't we? 
But most of us, in most situations in our life, we don't have to lean on the Lord a lot, do we? Because we can do it ourselves, right? I'm sure most of us got up this morning. You probably had something to eat. You probably got into a car or somebody picked you up or somehow you got here. You know, there wasn't a thought of, you know, the transportation. You know, you walked out here, you got your chair. You probably even think twice if your chair was sturdy or not, right, before you sat on it. Because it's a good chair, right? So what I'm, what I'm asking, I'm, you know, having a little fun here, but what I'm asking is, is that where, where in your life or where this morning did you put your faith in the Lord? To meet you in a certain place or to meet a need. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not going to blanket statement because I know that there are people here, I'm sure there are situations where getting out of bed this morning was an answer to prayer for you. The fact that you're here this morning took faith in God to get you here and to sustain you and to give you the strength to do so. But you're here and you're here for a reason this morning. And so, again, you know, this faithful obedience, I said it last week and I'm saying it again today and you're going to probably hear it possibly in the future a few times. Because we need to be reminded, don't we, as in, in our culture and the way we live, because there isn't, there isn't a lot of times where we're like, oh, Lord, you know, we go to the light switch. You don't sit there and say, man, I hope the electricity, I hope the lights come on as I flip this. We're just like, hey, it's dark. I need light. Hey, I'm hot. Let me go turn the air condition on. You know, right? Your silence to me today means I'm, I'm, I'm talking the right way, right? <laughs> But it's true, and that's not a, that's not a condemnation, that's not a, a, a criticism, it's just we are, we are I, I, I use the word blessed, but I don't want to necessarily, because it's not just that, because sometimes our blessings can be curses, can't they? What do I mean by that? Because it takes us away from that dependence on the Lord. And I know that, again, Drew and Christine, I know some of your story and some of the things that you guys have faced, and, you know, one of the things about being kind of at the tip of the spear, so to speak, you know, we, we see missionaries, and, you know, Leanna and I, we, we, we function in that role as well for a, a good season. And it's hard. <laughs> and there are circumstances that come up, and that you're just like, Lord, I can, we seriously, there's nothing I can do in the natural here. But it's only in those places do you get the privilege to see God's hand and how God comes in and does something incredible that only he can do but it took coming into that place of being uncomfortable into that place where we're at the end of our strength. Amen? Amen. And so we see that here uh, happening very clearly. And, and, and so Saul has come to his end, if you will. He's had a face-to-face with the Lord. Ananias really came to his end, had a face-to-face with the Lord. And so, again, we see this kind of um, taking place and taking shape as we look at this faithful obedience. But let's continue on now as we pick back up in, cha- in chapter 9, verse 19. And so talking about Paul now, it says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God, he being Jesus. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by providing that Jesus was the Christ. Again, let's insert ourselves into what's happening here and imagine that shock that everybody must have been in. These are Paul's people, right? This is, Paul was kind of called up and called in as the specialist, right? He, he was brought in. 
He's like, okay, you need, the, this, you need me to come in and round these folks up to bring them to the chief priest. I can do that. And now all of a sudden, here's their, their guy, their specialist that's now showing up, except now he's proclaiming Jesus as Lord. And they are shocked. And I'm sure that they're coming up like, are you feeling okay? Like, what's, what's wrong? Is this really happening? And we see, again, you know, he, he is boldly going in. That same, you know, Saul that we, we knew that was going after the Christians, now it's been redirected, and he's proclaiming Jesus. And the most, you know, again, walking up into the synagogue is, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty bold, right? Pretty bold. And to share that and to say that in front of everybody and proclaiming that Jesus truly is the Christ. And so we see this response. And you know, one of the things that's kind of surprising to me is why not when they were sitting there, how come people didn't say, oh my goodness, what, what happened to Saul? Tell me what happened because I want to know what changed you, right? Because something significant took place here. But instead they were angry, right? They were upset. And so Saul has to escape from Damascus at that point. And there's a pretty significant amount of time that passes over these next few verses that we're going to read. And we're going to kind of touch on that because it's important to understand because it really helps to us to see the big picture of what's happening and kind of the timeline. But again, picking back up there in verse 23, it says, When many days had passed, keep that phrase in mind, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. All right. Here was, again, sort of the, 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 the man of the moment, the guy called in, now sneaking out by being lowered down in a basket in, in the cover of darkness. And, you know, that phrase that I told you to keep track of when many days had passed um, what happens there is Paul had left the city there that he was in and returned, and they say it was a, probably about three years had gone by, all right? So that's three years, whoosh, gone. Where'd he go? I'm glad you asked. In Galatians 1, verses 15 through 17 and verse 22, it says, and this is, again, Paul's letter to the Galatians, so this is Paul speaking had, after he'd from, gone from Saul to Paul. And it says, but when he who had set, set me apart, again, he's speaking of Jesus now, before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And listen, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus, verse 22. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. So what did he do when he went up to Arabia? Does anybody know? The answer is no, we don't. And, you know, I know that drives some people crazy because we want answers, don't we? But the reality is, though, we just don't know what happened during that time, what he was doing. Obviously, he was growing in his understanding of the Lord and, and his knowledge. And God was probably, I'm sure, working things in him. But that's a three-year gap, boom, that takes place. And then we read further, in, and we're going to read here in just a moment in verse 26, that he's, he's now going to head to Jerusalem. All right, he's going to Jerusalem. Now, again, there's another time gap here. It's, it's a little more significant. 
In verse 26, as we're going to read, it says, when he came to Jerusalem, in Galatians 2.1, it tells us a little bit about that, and it says this, then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. What I want you to take from this right now is, is, is this, this portion right here, is that it took Paul at least 17 years to make it to Jerusalem, at least 17 years. Think about that for a minute. And again, we're going to you know, see that account shortly, but when he makes it to Jerusalem, finally, it was 17 years had passed before he ever stepped foot in front of the other apostles in Jerusalem. And so we read now in, in, in verse 26, as he approaches Jerusalem 17 years later after his conversion, it says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. Again, even after 17 years, they probably thought this guy disappeared. They probably didn't hear a lot. You know, there was no, you know, CNN or, you know, uh, whatever, Facebook, any of that kind of stuff. No social media. They didn't know what happened to him. He just had disappeared. And now he's standing in front of them. They were afraid, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. And they were seeking to kill him. Again, he had this wonderful effect on people, didn't he? As soon as he would talk, they just wanted to kill him. And then the brothers learned this. When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So again, we see this Saul who will become Paul now in a very different place, right? In a very different role. This man used to walk around boldly. And used to go in and he would find Christians and he would go wherever he wanted to and engage kind of things head on. And he was still doing this to an extent, but oftentimes we see where he's kind of slipping out the back door, you know? Why? Because God had a call on his life to do other things. And so, you know, we're going to kind of slow it down now a little bit, and I want us to just to, to give some application here. As we do, I want us to, to begin just with, with 1 Timothy 1.16. And again, this is Paul's letter to Timothy, and he says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, and as the foremost meaning I am the chief among sinners. I am the worst sinner. Again, this was the man who had killed Christians, who had imprisoned Christians in direct opposition to what the Lord was trying to do. As the foremost, he says, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So what we see here taking place is that Paul had a calling on his life. That the Lord called Paul and he had a mission and he had a task for him to do. And calling and obedience were, were, were working hand in hand here regardless of what the opposition was going to bring. And as we again kind of just settle into this a little bit, I want to break down into three seasons that we may find ourselves in from time to time as, as followers of Jesus Christ. The first season, and maybe you're in one of these today, is, is a season of opposition. A season of opposition. That people will disappoint and even oppose you. Again, Saul's religious circles, they persecuted and even tried to kill him. And he experienced this life of suffering 
again, there was this opposition, you know, physically with people, but even spiritually, right? And for us, you know, when we step in, maybe, maybe you're new to the faith or maybe you've been a believer for a while and maybe, you know, things are fine, but you go home for your, your family gatherings or, you know, maybe it's around Thanksgiving time or, or maybe it's at work with your colleagues. And you show up and, you know, you, you begin to get opposition for your faith, especially if you're vocal at all. And some of us here, maybe today, just, we just kind of keep it to ourselves, you know. A lot of times I know when family gathers, that's kind of, you know, you don't talk religion or politics, right? That's sort of the standing rule. The question is, is what has God called you to do or who has God called you to, to reach? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it your colleagues, your coworkers? So again, it, I want you to understand today, and, and the reason I call these seasons is because there's a season what are great things about seasons? What's a great thing about living here in the wintertime? It ends, right? We're sitting out here today. You know, it's, I don't know about you, but I still am entertained somewhat when the snow first starts to fall. I'm like, oh, it's cool. It's snow and it's white. It's pretty. It's beautiful. And then one month, two months, you know, sub-zero kind of hits. And you're kind of like, I don't really like this anymore. I mean, I know hell's supposed to be hot, but no, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, you know, think... Is, are my jokes just not hitting today? Is that all? You guys are a tough crowd, man. Tough crowd. It's okay. I love you still. Um, so it's true, though, right? I mean, because the winter, it's, it's a season. And so we're out here today, you know, enjoying this beautiful weather and enjoying this beautiful setting with leaves on the trees. But we know here, you know, in a few months, hopefully more than just a few months, this is all going to change, isn't it? The leaves are going to be gone. It's going to be frigid. And there was no way you would set foot out here without being properly dressed. And so I want to encourage you today that, you know, there may be seasons of persecution. There may be seasons of opposition, you know, where people are, are, you know, and especially people, I think that, you know, you might, you're excited to tell your story and they kind of mock you because of it. You were expecting a different response, right? And that happens. Believe me, you know, just read about Jesus' life <laughs> and those closest to him that betrayed him. And so, again, understand it's a season of opposition. And if you're not experiencing opposition, I would encourage you to maybe pray and ask God, like, Lord, am I, am I doing what I've been called to do? Or am I choosing to be silent? Another season that might come as we are called and obedient to what, what God has called us to is, is a season of preparation. A season of preparation. And don't, don't rush this season, all right? Listen, at least 17 years happened between Damascus, the Damascus Road experience, and Paul, Saul's appointment as a missionary who became Paul. 17 years from appointment to arrival. Now, I don't know if you've waited for anything in your life. I guess 17 years is about the time it takes kids to grow. Just kidding. Uh, you know, we're waiting. For, we're not anticipating or excited, but, you know, 17 years. Think what takes 17 years. What have you ever waited 17 years for to, to happen, right? And here we see this example by Saul, and this seems to be the pattern that God uses, though, isn't it? Think about Moses. You know how long he waited? I think you got it. 40 years. Anybody waited 40 years? Imagine that. I mean, you know, you think about this stuff. 40 years for God to prepare him 
How about uh, David? You know, he waited 15 years, at least 15 years. From when he said, remember, you know, he was anointed as king, but then where did he go? He went right back out to, to tend to the sheep, didn't he? And there was a process, there was a journey that took him to get to the place where God had called him to. How about Joseph? Everybody remember that story? <laughs> I'm sure that was, a, that was a fun waiting time, right? As he was in a pit and enslaved and then things seemed to be going up and then he was wrongfully accused and tossed away. 20 years. Don't rush the process. You may be today in a season of preparation and I want to encourage you today to not rush the process of what God is trying to do. Don't rush it. Anybody like baking? Man, I'm going to pack up and walk off. You guys don't start answering me. <laughs> baking, right? And, you know, I don't know if you bake cakes or if you ever watched it or have any clue of how that works. But regardless of your familiarity with that, what happens is as the cake's baking, there comes a point where the cake looks done, doesn't it? You know, if, if you don't, it looks, you look in the oven and it seems like, hey, that looks good. And if you didn't know what you were doing, you would say, let's pull it out and eat that thing. It smells amazing. It looks, it's done. And if you've ever made that mistake before, or, or maybe it was a spouse, and I don't want you to look at that person right now. But if, if you've ever done that and you go to cut in that cake and then all of a sudden, like all this batter kind of just flows out, right? And, you know, that person that worked really hard, you're trying to smile at them and you're eating, you know, batter like rolling down. Like, this is great. It's done. It's fine. But what happened was is, is it, it, it wasn't allowed to finish, right, what it had started. Finish the process. And so we don't want to be runny cakes today, right? We want to be nice, fresh, tasty cakes. And so finish the process and finish this season of preparation that, that God may have you in today. And it's okay. And I get it. And I, I'm one, too, that wants to kind of just jump into things and rush. And sometimes you, know, you need to remind yourself, and, and God needs to remind us, hey, slow down. There's, you know, sometimes you have the right thing. God, you've heard from the Lord. You know it's right, but the timing is critical. And if you trust the Lord, he will walk. I really believe today that I'm talking to some people here directly, that you need to hear this today. Because you're in a season that seems unsure. And especially when you begin a journey or you're in this season, especially when you get about halfway or three quarters of the way, and you're sitting there and you're like, it's not looking like this is gonna come, to, come about. Maybe I was wrong. I would encourage you today to ask the Lord, and, I, and, and for many of you, I think that you, know, you are in the right place. You just need to finish walking it out, and God will bring you faithfully to what he wants you to be at. Finally, the last season that I want to share with us, I'm sure it's no one's favor, but it's, it's a season of suffering. And I have in my notes here, and I'm going to just say it this way, but that not every bad is a bad thing. Not every bad in our life is a bad thing. Oftentimes, what we might think is our punishment might actually be our preparation. You understand that? And I'm not trying to, to make something, you know, like if you're going through, there are times when you are being oppressed and there's opposition spiritually, there's opposition by just people in your life. But again, sometimes God is walking with us and bringing us through a time of suffering. Again, look at, the, look at Saul. And, and, and the Lord let off because he said he showed him that he was going to suffer, how he was going to suffer in his life for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
And we need to remind ourselves, again, that we serve a Savior who is called the suffering servant, <laughs> who went to a cross. And so to follow him may involve some discomfort, may involve some suffering. Again, that scripture that says to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow him. We have to remind ourselves that sometimes that we are going to be in that season. But I'm also here today to remind us that oftentimes purification comes through fire, doesn't it? If you ever watch the process of silver or gold and when they purify it, there has to be heat, there has to be fire involved. But I want to encourage you today to keep going, that there's hope always with the Lord. There was an experiment done in John Hopkins, and some of you, this is not going to go over too well, but um, it's kind of sad, but maybe not. Depends on your feelings of rats. Um, John Hopkins University did this experiment with rats and water, okay? And I don't know where they come up with these things, but they wanted to, to determine how long would a rat swim before it drowned, okay? Seems kind of mean, doesn't it? I don't know what the big picture was, but I want you to catch, now we got that out of the way, but I want you to catch the point here, okay? So what happened is they would drop a, a rat in the water, and it would swim for an average of about 10 minutes before it would go under, Okay? might be like nine minutes and 59 seconds longer than some of you want, to, want it to be alive, right? Because I know how you feel about rats. But, but anyway, it would sink after 10 minutes. Now, here's what happened. Listen to this. If in that 10-minute time, like two or three times, if, if someone would come in and lift that rat up out of the water for like a second and put it back in, and it would just keep swimming, and they kept doing this, that rat would go from that short amount of time, about 10 minutes, to over 60 hours, that rat would swim. And so what's, what's the point here? The point is, is because the rat had hope. It knows if I just go a little longer, so it's, something's gonna lift me out of this water, right? I'm gonna have reprieve. And so it kept going and kept going. And you know, we, we've heard these stories, I'm sure, when you know, people are in prison for long periods of time. If, if you lose hope, you lose your life, don't you? And so again, you may be in this season again, right now, of maybe suffering, but understand that God is with you. And what's amazing, and I, I'm speaking now from experience, and especially our time in Kuwait, when we went through some really hard seasons, some very dark seasons in our life, that when we got to that point where we felt like we were gonna break, where we were just gonna shatter like on the rocks, God would always do something. He would just do something. Somebody would show up, somebody would say something, some kind of thing would happen that would just say, just remind us that, hey, I'm here with you. I've not, I've not left you. I've not forsaken you. I'm walking this out with you. And so I want to encourage you that even if, you know, you're stepping maybe into a season or you're just starting a season maybe where things have gotten hard, trust that the Lord is stretching your faith, that he is continuing to want to draw you deeper and to draw you further and say, follow me, follow me. And again, as we maybe start to sink a little bit, he'll be there and he's going he's gonna to pick us up and he might set us back down again, but he's wanting to show us just how far we can go if we trust him. And he's building our faith, he's stretching our faith, and he's calling us into things much deeper. Some things God allows in our lives not to just prepare us to do something, but listen to this, but simply to prepare us for himself. You understand that? If you haven't gotten anything else from today, I want you to get that. That sometimes God is not just preparing us for the event or for what's going on, but it's, he's preparing us for just himself. 
Much like when a bride prepares herself on her wedding day, right? And if you've not seen this before, usually the groom can be dressed in about five minutes. The bride, it starts like when the sun is still down, right? And they get up early and they got to do the hair and the makeup and the nails and whatever else you do, I don't know. Um, but it's, it takes, it's an all-day process, right? Because there's a preparation to present herself to her groom. And this is the same thing that God is doing in some of us today. God, again, he wants to prepare us for himself. What God is accomplishing in you is often, if not all the time, more significant than what he might be doing through you. Did you catch that? God cares more about you than what you do for him. Does that make sense? Because he loves you. He created you. You're his. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to close with just a, a few more thoughts and appreciate your patience here. But again, this was quite a bit to cover. And I really felt like God had some things to say to us today. But I want to share this from Acts, the last verse in chapter 9. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The early church's greatest nemesis on earth was removed, wasn't it? Again, we know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but at that time, and that person was Saul. So the, the beauty that God did here is first he, he, he pulled Saul out of the picture, didn't he? The persecutor of Christians. And that should remind us today that nothing can stand in the way of what God wants to do. Can we say that together? Say this. Nothing can stand in the way of what God wants to do. You need to write that down, go home, write it somewhere, put it on the fridge, because you need to be reminded that nothing can stop what God is wanting to accomplish in our lives. The early church's greatest nemesis now became their greatest advocate. So not only did God remove this, this, this pressure, but he now made this person and, and kind of injected him into the church as like one of the greatest people to walk the earth for the Lord, right? The, the, the effect. I mean, we're sitting here today because of Paul, <laughs> because of what the Lord did in Paul's life. And that should remind us today that there is always hope both for ourselves, but also for others. No matter how far someone may seem, no matter how lost they might be, we do not know what God might have in store or be planning for them. We also see here again from the scripture that they continued in obedience. And so God responds again to those who walk according to his purposes. My question to you today and to us is, are we being obedient to what God has called us to? Are we walking out what God has called us to do and what he intended? For some of us, maybe we left that a long time ago and maybe God wants us to return to that today. What has God called you to do? Because he's called each and every one of you to something. It may seem insignificant. It may seem greater than you could ever do in your own strength. Whatever that is, your job is to be faithful, right? And God will show up. And lastly, as a result, I love that, that the church multiplied, the church grew. Listen, genuine growth in the church does not come about merely by human hands, but it's only by the power of God. 
whatever God wants to do here at Long Grove Community Church and through this body and, and whatever we're doing, it's not because we're so awesome and great. It's because we serve a great and mighty God. We are imperfect people being used for a perfect purpose by a perfect God. Amen. And so that is what we do here. You know, we do a lot of things here at times and you know, we've got a huge undertaking this week and we've done our work to, to prepare for it. Now we're gonna trust the Lord to do things that we have no idea what might come about of it, the lives that will be touched. I love the story of the boy with the loaves of fish, right? Or the loaves of bread and the fish, right? He, just, he was just there and he was just saying, hey, this is all I have. And Jesus like, I can work with that. I can feed thousands of people from the, your little, you know, lunchable that you brought with you. He's just looking for our faithfulness and to give him room to work. But here's the deal. I'm, I'm really going to close now. So many of us, we kind of start pulling the lunchable out and we're like, this, I'm not going to, this is embarrassing. I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to sit over here and eat it myself, right? And when we do that, think about what we missed out on. You know why? Because there's another little boy that's going to come up and, hey, here's my Lunchable. Don't miss out on what God might do just by you saying yes and stepping out, even if it's just a little bit. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for this time, Lord, to study your word. And, and again, Lord, we there's so many places, Lord, that we could go today. There's so many things that we could unpack, Lord, in just this, this passage. And that's what's amazing about your word. While, God, there is a, a, a surface level, so to speak, of, of being able to receive things, and it, it's speaking to us, Lord God, but, God, there is such depth to your word and the things that, that are in it. It's life-giving, Lord. It's life-changing. God, I want to pray for each person, Lord, here present today, Lord, on this lawn, each person that's watching online, Lord, with us today. God, that you are present with them, and, God, that you have called them, Lord, according to your purposes and to your will. God, I would pray that, that, that we would say, Lord, forgive us, Lord, where we've, uh, again, discredited or discounted, Lord, us, while in one sense, yeah, we, we, would, we will fall short. We, we can't do it. But God, when we do that, we, it's, it's us taking our eyes off of you and thinking about, Lord, what might you be able to do through us? God, I pray for those here today who have lost sight, Lord, of how precious and how, precious and how cherished they are, Lord, in your eyes. God, that they need to know that and they need to hear that today, that they are loved by you so deeply because you are an amazing God and you are their creator, Lord, and you want a relationship with them. God, if there's any person here today within the sound of my voice that doesn't know you and, and does not have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that they would make that profession of faith today. God, again, they may not have this Damascus Road experience, Lord, where you show up in a flash of light, but God, your voice still calls by your spirit. And Lord, if, if that is somebody here, Lord, today, Lord, I pray that they would truly uh, cry out to you, Lord, that they would repent of their sins, that they would acknowledge, Lord, your death and resurrection. And, and, they, and Lord, they would say, God, I, I need you. I want you to come in and be Lord of my life and to be my savior. And God, that they would pray that with, with being genuine. And, and God, that you would meet them in that place and they would experience relationship with you. And God, that they would tell someone, they would tell a pastor or a friend. God, we thank you for, again, this amazing account, Lord, just that shows how far you can reach, that there is no ends, Lord, to who, uh, whose heart you can change. 
And God, I pray, Lord, that we've also been encouraged today and, and hope has been renewed in our hearts, Lord God, if we've gone, if we're going, Lord, through a season of, of difficult times. God, if, if we're looking down, Lord God, and we've lost sight of you, God, let us lift our, our, our eyes, Lord. Lift them up, Lord, to see you once again and keep our eyes on you and trust that you will see us through. But God, again, to echo those words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but Lord, even if, even if you, they said you didn't save them, Lord, from the furnace, they would still worship you because you're God and your plans and your ways are perfect. So God, we just truly want to surrender ourselves, and that's sometimes hard for us to do, but we want to surrender ourselves to your will, God, into what you have uh, for our lives today. God, I thank you for each one here. I think you've spoken to our hearts in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Would you stand?